McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, I'm Brian Boitler, Editor-in-Chief of Cricket.com, and you're listening to Cricket Conversations. We're nearing midterm elections at breakneck speed now, and a lot of people still have not registered, and many others just won't turn out to vote. When you ask those people why, many of them say they feel like their votes don't matter. They forfeit their right to vote because they think the right is meaningless. But millions of our fellow citizens don't even have the choice to begin with. Currently, 6 million Americans who have been convicted of felonies are prohibited from voting by their state governments. The decision has been made for them. For that reason, earlier this year, I visited San Quentin State Prison in Northern California. From the outside, San Quentin is actually kind of beautiful. It sits on a bluff looking south and east over the San Francisco Bay and the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. It dates back to the gold rush, so some of the facilities still have these impressive, almost Venetian facades. But step inside, and it's definitely a prison. It's a men's prison and home to the state's only death row, what the people who work at the facility called Condemned Row. Over 700 men await execution there. And currently, Californians in state prison do not have the right to vote, and their rights won't be restored until after they've been released and completed parole. On today's episode, you'll hear a few conversations that I had with people who are serving felony sentences there, and as a result have had their rights to vote taken away from them, some of them before they even had a chance to engage in civic life in the first place. The idea for this episode dates back to March, way before the election or even really a strong sense that initiatives to re-enfranchise felons would be on the ballot in certain states. A Stanford graduate student named Alexandra Blackman, who was co-teaching a class at San Quentin through an organization called the Prison University Project, messaged me blind because her students had been assigned to write op-eds about felon disenfranchisement, and she wanted to know if I would like to run some of their pieces. Obviously, I was interested, but what I thought would be really interesting is to run several of their articles from a variety of perspectives, as lightly edited as possible, and then to talk to some of them about how their sentence had shaped their views about voting, disenfranchisement, and the country. Everyone I talked to for this episode contributed an article as well, and you can read those articles at crooked.com. The first man I spoke to was Greg Eskris. He's 45 years old now, but as you'll hear, he's been incarcerated since he was 19, before he ever wrote it. All right, so, so my name is Greg Eskridge, and I'm 45 years old. I'm from Long Beach, California. Uh, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm currently incarcerated here at San Quentin Prison. Before my incarceration, I was, um, I was 19 years old, and, and voting was something that, that I didn't do, nor did I even know anyone who voted in my community. Why is it that you say that people in your community just didn't think about voting as something that you kind of regularly do? I think I think the people in my community. Um, I think the lifestyles that people were living. I think people were living in in so much despair that we didn't see voting as something that was going to change our circumstances. It seemed like it was something that was outside of our community. It didn't seem like it was going to uh, be any 
use that it was going to affect us at all. Now that I know that voting can make a difference, mm-hmm. I would definitely talk to people in my community and definitely tell them to get out there and vote, especially if you want to make change. If there's something that you see in your community that you don't like or you want to make change, to go out there and vote. Voting is a way to bring that change about in your community. I think when it comes to I think when it comes to uh, to public safety, I think one thing that I've known about in prison is that I look at voting as rehabilitation, as part of rehabilitation, as part of, of getting acclimated back into society. And I think this gives, if someone were to get a chance to vote inside of prison, I think it would give us an opportunity to 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 create a mind state of being a part of the larger scope of society and being a participant in society. And I think coming to prison and you losing all those rights, you you miss out on all of that. And you think that if more people were convinced that they should vote or allowed to vote, that you would end up with lower recidivism, fewer people from the community ending up incarcerated in the first place. And how does that work? How does voting connect you to things in a way that maybe you know, reduces the incidence of people ending up well, in I think To me, voting feels like you're being responsible. It feels like you're really giving back to your community. It puts you in a mind state of doing positive things as opposed to doing some of the negative things that a lot of us may have done while we were out in society. And, it's just, and it just begins to make you think about your community as a whole and making your community better and not destroying your community. So you were a young man when you, when you lost the right to vote. Um, do you have any message for uh, young people, men or women, who still have the right to vote but often don't exercise it? And, and for any reason, right? Like, talk to the people out there who aren't voting because, like you said, there's too much despair and hopelessness. People are too lazy. People just haven't figured out what the connection between their vote and 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 their and their lives is what. Well, I want to say to the people out there in in, in, in community at large that the that the democratic process was designed for all of us to have a voice. And if you want to make change, and you want things to 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 go your way in your community, you need to get out there and vote because voting for one, voting is power, and voting is uplifting. There was a time in history where. African-American or women, people could not vote. And so now we have that right to vote. So don't squander that right to vote. People have lost their lives. People have fought for us to have the right to vote. So we owe it to not only ourselves, but people in the past that have paved the way for us to have this opportunity to vote. So last question for you. Is there anything that you want to say to the people who are going to be listening to this that you haven't been able to say because I haven't asked the right question? (laughs) Um, well, I think you've I think I think you've covered uh, I think you've covered a lot. But one thing I think I would just like to say, just as far as um, got people in who were incarcerated um, having the right to vote, you know, um, true enough, we have committed crimes to be in prison. However, we're in prison trying to better ourselves and trying to make 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 changes so we can be better productive citizens once we get back out there in society. And voting is is one of those steps, those positive steps forward. And for people who may not want us to have the right to vote, who may think that 
you know, that some reason our vote is going to shift the society in, 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 in one particular way. I don't think there's nothing inherently scary about our vote. We're just one vote and we just want to just have opportunity to be a part of the conversation. I also had the chance to talk with Hugh Wynn, but he goes by Rocky. Like Greg, Rocky has been incarcerated since the age of 19. He's turning 38 soon, and he comes at this issue from a wildly different perspective, in part because of why he's in prison in the first place. You'll hear more from me in this conversation. As I was reading all the essays that were submitted to me, um, you were the only one who argued that you think it's right that you're not allowed to vote. Would you tell us why you think that? I think that because... uh for the past almost 20 years, I've been carrying uh, my victim and uh, the, the people that I hurt on my shoulder. And I think when it came to the right, have a right to vote, I believe that uh, voting is a privilege, you not a right, mm-hmm. you know, because I have my right, but I gave that up when I commit this crime. You say that you, you took someone's vote away, so you don't think you should get to keep yours. Is that about right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's about right because... Um, I believe that vote could be very important. You know, I, I did the research in my class, and there's many cases where when one vote could decide a lot of outcome, the law, uh, everything in, this, in, in, in our government. Right. And without that person present the vote, it could change. It could make a difference. One thing you wrote is that I believe that the most just policy is for felons to regain their voting rights after they are released from prison. Do you, do you think that that's the right thing for all felons? or just people who have taken a life? No, it's the right thing for other felons. I believe it's not just uh, the crime that we commit, but uh, the trauma, mm-hmm. the pain that we left behind. You know, not just because I took someone's life, you know, then I don't have the right, but not because uh, uh, the community that we put a fear in, the community that we hurt them, mm-hmm. that's uh, we have no right to do that. And we lost our right when we commit the crime. One thing you don't know about me, is that um, I was a shooting victim. I, I got shot myself about 10 years ago. Okay. There were a couple guys, the guys who did it, they weren't caught. Maybe they got caught for something else at some point, but not, mm-hmm. for, not for what happened to me. But okay. if they were caught, if, if, if the Washington, D.C. police said we got the guys who did it, I'd want them to be able to vote. Does it change your thinking to know that not all victims of crime think the disenfranchisement is right? No, it was going to change my thinking. Because like I say that voting is not a right to me because I have my right to live my freedom. My victim have a right to live his freedom. And I, I lost that right. Not only I lost that right, but I took that right away from him. Mm-hmm. So it's, for me, it's like become a privilege. I have to earn my way, meaning that I have to pay my debt. I have to pay my time. I have to pay uh, the restitution. And I have to do some kind of work that working on myself mm-hmm. before I gain that right again. Right. Yeah. Do you have, just like Greg, I, I want to ask you if, uh, if there's anything you'd want the listeners who are going to hear this to hear from you or to know or to think about before we sign off today? Before I commit my crime, I have the right to vote. Um, I didn't value it. I didn't take it seriously until I lost it. Then I realized how important it is. Uh, today, all my family members, they vote. I encourage them to vote because it is uh, important for not only for uh, them, but for uh, a lot of law, a lot of uh, situation that we want the government to benefit our community, especially the people that are in the lower class. 
to the people that not do not do not vote, I encourage them to vote. It's, 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 it's not many countries that we got a right to vote. You know, we here in this you know great country. I believe you know uh, people tend to take a lot of things for granted. And you said that you didn't take your right to vote seriously when you had it. Did you? Was there an election you could have voted in and you sat it out? I never even think about voting. Right. Yeah, I was caught up in the lifestyle that I was living. That I thought I had it all together, you know. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't care what the system right. was about until I came to prison. And if you could do it over again, though, you would be you'd be paying close attention. Yes, be over again. I would vote and I would try to make a difference, especially for my community, for the low class people. All right, Rocky. Thanks so much for talking to me. All right, thank you. We'll be back with more from San Quentin State Prison after this break. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. People brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. A built-in two-minute timer pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. Up to 90% of us don't brush a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. It's particularly great for people like me who are too irresponsible to take adequate care of our teeth on our own and need just a little bit of help Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. It'll make sure that you clean your teeth responsibly, even if you're not particularly good at doing that on your own. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash crookedconvos right now, you'll get your first refill pack for free with the Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crooked convos. After Rocky and I were done, I spoke to two friends, Nicola Bucci, he goes by Bucci, and John Levin. I hadn't actually scheduled time with either of these contributors before I arrived, so I didn't really have their essays in front of me, but that gave us a chance to have a more spontaneous chat. We delved into the history of disenfranchisement in the U.S. and the obvious racial disparities underlying it. Who do I have here? I got. My name is Nicola Bucci. And my name is John Levin. And uh, how old are you guys? Tell me a little bit about like, where, where you came from. So I am 45 years old. I've been at San Quentin for almost five years. And I've been in prison since 2006. And I am a California native. Mm-hmm. And I grew up primarily in Southern California, but I've, I've lived. Um, in a lot of different places. My father was, he worked for the airline, so I've lived in the Middle East. I've lived in Arizona and Las Vegas. I've lived in Grand Cayman Island. So I've, I've traveled the world and, and I was in the military at 17 and was honorably discharged in 1993. And cohort. Uh, I'm, I'm 54 years old. Uh, lived my entire life in Southern California. Uh, born and raised in Southern California. Uh, I've been in uh, in prison for nine years, and I've been here at San Quentin since uh, 2013. 
So since I don't have your essays in front of me, uh, talk to me a little bit about your views about the topic that I'm here to interview people about, about voting rights and the lo your loss of your voting rights and, and how that makes you think about, you know, the right. impact that you could be having that you're not and so on. Right. You want to start? Sure. When I took American government last semester, it really opened up my eyes to the, not only the macro level of government, but the macro versus, uh, and I really never really looked at the, the, uh, the big scale in regards to understanding what electoral vote was, popular vote was. And I first voted in 2008 for Obama, and that was the first time I had ever voted, and I actually voted in the county jail. And when we were asked to do these op-ed papers, I, I drew from life experience. And previously, before I had taken American government class, I was interviewed from San Quentin Radio, and it was primarily about felon disenfranchisement. And when I realized what that really even meant, I didn't really, really understand what disenfranchisement was until I took my American government class. And what I learned was how important it was to vote. And I was 34 when, when I committed my life offense. And I didn't realize how, what a voice was. And, the, and so that's after you'd served in the military, you'd served the country, mm -hmm. and you didn't even really understand where civically you kind of fit into the whole scheme of things. And you didn't learn that until you came here? That is that exa exactly true. I think I kind of took on the stereotype of my vote didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my peers also felt that way. Mm -hmm. And it was just a consensus amongst my peers um, how important it was to vote. And, I, and uh, where I had previously worked before, I had asked somebody like if they were Republican or Democrat, and they really took offense to that. And I didn't really understand someone's political voice and how sensitive mm -hmm. that was to them and how important that was to them. Didn't even realize before I came to prison the, the difference between a Democrat and a, and a Republican. And the American government class kind of really opened up my eyes to that. And um, when I voted in 2008, I voted abstentia. And my mother had had asked me, did I want to vote? And I said, well, I think I'm going to be losing my, there's not, there's nothing funny about the magnitude of me being in prison. However, I realized that I was going to lose that, right? Mm -hmm. And once I did vote, I felt empowered. And during Obama's his second election, I didn't get that abstention right. vote. And that really kind of, I felt like I didn't matter anymore. And even though, like you were mentioning, even though that I was, uh, I served in the, in the Persian Gulf, I'm a disabled American veteran. And I really felt like that service was just overlooked. And in my op-ed paper, I kind of mentioned a little bit about maybe creating a policy for disenfranchised felon veterans to have a policy if they had served in a foreign war and had received an honorable discharge that there could be a policy that they could vote and i've educated myself on understanding that there's only four states in the union that allow 
felons to, to vote, and California is not one of them. And I realize even voting on a federal level would impact, you know, the popular vote. Um, I realize that if I could vote, it could, very, it could affect both the local and state government, and I f really feel that that's important. Is your story similar? Did you vote, were you a voter before you... Uh... Yeah, I was a, I was a voter uh, ever since I was legally allowed to vote. I, I voted in primarily presidential elections. And I think, for me, one of the things that I realized is um, I probably didn't appreciate the value of my vote um, at the time I had it. I, I participated, but it was only after losing that mm -hmm. that I really realized the value. And... Um, I guess, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I spoke about in my, uh, my op-ed piece was <clears throat> uh, that if, if you commit a crime in a foreign country, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're subject to the laws of that country. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, when I committed my crime in 2009, um, I'm still a citizen of this country, but a part of my citizenship was taken away, in a sense. And that even though I was sentenced um, for my crime, um, it's, it's, like, it's as if part of my citizenship was taken away. And I certainly agree that my, my freedom should be taken away, but you know, I question whether parts of my citizenship should be taken away. I certainly, in prison, I'm still able to exercise other rights and privileges that come along with citizenship. Um, I'm able to uh, practice the religion of my choice. I'm able to, for the most part, have freedom of speech. Um, I can write letters, make telephone calls, um, you know, pretty much uh, freely. But why is this one aspect of my citizenship removed? What, what, why do you think? Why do you, the, overwhelmingly across the states. <sighs> I, I guess... Maybe the view might be that uh, if if someone has committed a, a crime against in their society, that they should no longer uh, have a voice in how that society is managed, is run, is governed. Um, and I, I I think I would argue that that, that might be a little short-sighted, because part of uh, you know part of of prison is rehabilitation, and part of rehabilitation is reentry. Um, you know, a lot of us want to re-enter society as contributing members, and part of that is being a responsible member of that of that society that you re-enter. And I think if you have a voice in how that society is run, if you have some kind of say in the rules and laws that uh, that, that that manage that that society, that you have a vested interest, and and therefore you you are probably less likely to recidivate. I think you're, you're more likely to, to feel responsible and, and a contributing member of society. So here, here's a question, and, and Amy back there can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the only two states in the whole country that let people vote as prisoners are Maine and Vermont. Sitting here, three white guys, those are the two of the whitest states in the country. What does it tell you that those are the states that said, okay, prisoners can vote? and other states that have a more diverse population haven't made the same decision? Well, I mean, I think it speaks a lot to the history of this country in terms of why uh, felon disenfranchisement came about in the first place. Um, and, 
it's part of just the white male hegemonic society that we live in that I think predominantly white states are going to, you know, favor that when there's a less when there's less minority. And I don't I don't agree with that. I think we're all part of of this country. We're all citizens, and we all have the right to vote. I think that's I think those those felon disenfranchisement laws are historically based mm-hmm. and uh, and continue to be, you know. Those, those state laws uh, continue to, to oppress. This is Brian again in studio. I wanted to break in here for a minute because I thought John Levin said something really interesting that we don't often discuss. The language of disenfranchisement laws is deraced because the Constitution says it has to be, and our public discourse about it tends to revolve around moral judgment and punishment. But Levin was right. To be clear, we've been disenfranchising felons since before black citizens had the right to vote to begin with. But as a country, our interest in these laws has always ballooned just as voting rights for African-Americans have been expanded, and they've been framed and deployed to ensnare minorities with impressive precision. Those trends continue today. Okay, back to the conversation. Is that how you feel about it? My boopchi, checking in, (laughs) so you don't get confused on whose voices are what. So for me, understanding that it's Vermont and Maine and the, the... the demographic is primarily white. Um, I realize that the reason why those states allowed their felons not to be disenfranchised and, and their voting rights still stayed intact was because I think that those states were a little more lenient on retributive justice and meaning that you you are going to get punished if you commit offense against your community, and how does that rep? What does that represent, right? Now, the rest of the states have leaned more, and the United States is more on a retributive justice model, and what that means is just punish, 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 right? And just recently, in the past couple of years, there's been a different ideology on prison reform and prison reform is moving towards more of a retributive away from that versus going to restorative and community justice in California just amended its penal code 1170 a and b last year to model that now a lot of the European countries do model that and I think Norway and Germany if they do uh, commit a crime, which is a, if they commit a felony, they still have their voting rights intact. I mean, I'm guessing that's an educated guess, but they're a little, they're more on the restorative justice model, which helps restore the offender and the survivor. There's a whole different language that they use. And even we're going through that process right now, and we're seeing that here at San Quentin. It, where our clothing is going to be changed, so it's no longer going to be CDCR prisoner. It's going to be CDCR f- offender. Uh, Jerry Brown, that's one of the most more progressive laws that he's changed on the local level. When he was in office in 1978, he created a bill. It was Senate Bill 42, and he did something with a sentencing scheme. And then the prison population in California was 20,000 with 12 prisons, and in 2009, when they created uh, Assembly Bill 109, there was 33 prisons and approximately 175 inmates, which... uh, 175,000 inmates, yes. 
I missed some zeros. <laughs> um, I, Rounding errors. Yes, right. but you know, I, when you really think of like some of the more progressive states, California is 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 that. And but it's going to take a long time for that pendulum to to swing back to more. Um, and I know even in Florida, learn in American government, I learned that even once a felon, you never can vote. Yes. Some of those your voting rights never are intact. Florida is one of the states that never restores well very rarely restores and i think that there there's going to be a ballot initiative in florida as well as in california this election um which maybe is a good time for me to ask you guys what do you want our listeners to hear that i haven't asked you about maybe that you want jerry brown to hear in case he's one of those listeners any thoughts beyond what we've talked about i mean just i guess the message i'd like to leave the listeners with is is um, if, if prisons are to rehabilitate inmates and are to release inmates that with, with uh, the least chance of recidivating, I think it, you know, part of that is um, social responsibility, civic responsibility. And by allowing inmates uh, to vote and have a say in their community, um, they're going to take uh, responsibility, and I think it's going. To, I think it's going to lead to a smoother reentry, and I think it's going to lead to uh, a much lower recidivism rate um, once they are returned to society. Bucci checking in again. <laughs> so, I think the big question I would have policymakers consider was: we are no longer going to be just felons, we're going to be returning citizens. And part of a positive citizenship and restoring our self-esteem, both public self-esteem, would to consider maybe enacting prisoners to, to vote why they're, yeah. why, even when they're out of custody, when they're on parole, right? Because some, when we, we, we are, I'm sentenced under the indeterminate, so I'm a lifer. And so when I am released or paroled, I am going to be on an indeterminate life parole. So it probably, I won't probably be able to vote for five years after I'm released from prison. And so I'm going to be contributing to that community financially. I'm going to be contributing to that community. I'm going to have community outreach for my volunteership. And so why not allow prisoners to vote when they're on parole? Because my parole could extend up to seven years. And so I'm going to be paying my taxes. I'm going to be um, having a job. And so I'm going to be a responsible member of the community. And I, I consider my responsibility as a, as a community member would be able to vote, even on a local level. So that even if the state isn't ready to go all the way and say, even in, an, in a penitentiary, people should be able to vote. They, they don't necessarily have to swing all the way to the other extreme and say, if you have a felony record, you can never vote again. They could re-enfranchise people uh, after they're released. They can re-enfranchise them when they're done with their parole. There's sure. a spectrum, right? Sure, and yes. And I think it, you know, it'll, it'll, it, would, it would help in, in allowing returning citizens to feel more connected. You know, and I think part of what part of the frustration in here is just feeling not only is our have we lost our liberty and our freedom, but we've we've lost this connection with society. And I think, um, you know, through enfranchisement, we kind of would get a, a sense of that connection back. 
All right. Thanks for talking to me. Thank uh, you. We'll be back with more of this crooked conversation on the topic of felon disenfranchisement after this break. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Policy Genius. Life insurance is really important, but one third of people don't have it. That's because it's really hard to buy. You have to work out what you need, then do the research to find the best quote and hope that you don't get swindled along the way. It's not a good way to shop for anything, so Policy Genius made the whole process a lot simpler. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies to find the best policy for you. It takes just two minutes to get a quote. And if you don't know the first thing about insurance, they've got all the tools to get you up to speed. Learn the difference between term and whole life insurance, calculate how much coverage you need, and be sure you're making the right decision. In fact, over 4 million people have used Policy Genius to shop for insurance. Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance, home insurance, and auto insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So whether you know a lot about life insurance or nothing at all, start your search at policygenius.com. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes and make an informed decision for you and your loved ones. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Finally, I had the chance to interview someone who's had a completely unique experience. David Jassy is a Swedish citizen who was arrested and convicted in the U.S., which means his voting rights aren't ours to take away. My name is David Jassy. I'm 44 years old from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm a musician, songwriter, and a music producer. And I was a member of a Swedish rap group called The Navigators. And, uh, and you're unique among the people who, probably everyone in the institution, but um, definitely in this project because you still can vote just not here. Yes. Okay. So um, every time there is an election in Sweden, the Swedish consulate sends me the ballots uh, a few months ahead of the election and I can participate in the election, which is great because to me it was always a matter of, yes, I committed a crime, but I have my opinion in many more areas than just the criminal system. Um, you know, I'm interested in environmental issues. I'm interested in world politics. Uh, so I think that as a prisoner, yes, we committed a crime, but I still think that our voices should be heard. We have still kids that go into school and participate in society. We have family, friends that participate in society. So I still think it's a blessing for me to be able to participate. And I'm in a American prison, not even in my own country, but they still make sure. I don't even ask for it, but they send it to me every time, a few months ahead of the election. Um, so what's happening in Sweden? You're going you're gonna to uh, so, have to let me know because I have no idea. So since the crisis in Syria happened, we've had a lot of immigration issues. And uh, Sweden accepted more than 160,000 immigrants uh, last year. So it's been a lot of right-wing parties that's uh, coming up, unfortunately. We have a party called Sverigedemokraterna which is the Swedish Democrat of Sweden Democrats. And uh, 
when I was in Sweden, when I left Sweden 10 years ago, those were like known for being racist and Nazi party, but now they become more um, accepted in a way and they're changing the face of the party, but really the true nature of that party is racist. And uh, from what I heard last time I heard was that they are now almost projected to be the second biggest party. So what do you think the people of Sweden would say if somebody proposed everyone in Sweden who's incarcerated, we shouldn't let them vote anymore? Um, I'm sure that there are people that would agree with that, but I'm sure that there is a lot of people that don't agree with right. that. Uh, I think that the fact that we have a multi-party democracy is, is part of that too. So it's not only two parties, but there's different uh, points of views. And uh, I think many different people makes up what the country is. The prisons, it, you know, the prisons are located in, in Sweden. And also, um, the people affected by the prisons are the prisoners. So in a real democracy, our voices will still be heard, whether we have on the wrong side of the law or not. So, And so this is an election where it sounds like, for you, a big reason that you're grateful that you can still vote there is because of the immigration issue? No, uh, it's always, I'm, I always, you know, I take my vote seriously. And, um, you know, my big thing is environmental issues. That's really where my heart is at. Um, so. And, and I guess, like, maybe that's a perfect example of an issue that um, kind of cuts across both the incarcerated people in society and, and yeah. the people who aren't is that the environment, yeah. you know, like you, you breathe the same air, right? So, and it's going to affect generations coming after us as well. Inclu yeah, including future people incarcerated at San Quentin. Yeah. Um, how did environmental issues come to be such a big motivating factor for you? Well, after uh, high school, I attended a, a, a school for our environmental issues in Sweden, and we visited a lot of the different, uh, I don't even know how you say that in, in English, but it's like, basically where all the, I don't know the English word for it. But I was very interested in that, um, in that whole process. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, we always go and we put the soda cans into the machines. And I think Sweden has always been in the forefront when it comes to environmental issues. I even heard that Sweden import garbage from other countries just to keep those factories going that takes care of the garbage. So, so uh, given your experience, both your, you know, your commitment to voting and also the fact that you can, have you been able to use that experience to convince any of the people here that you talk to about the importance of the issue? Have, do, you, do you have a sort of special authority or, or persuasiveness to them? Uh, I mean, I speak to some of my friends, but I haven't done it openly, no. So. And, uh, and so in Sweden, what percentage of people tend to vote? Ooh. That is a good question. I don't have the, the factual numbers for that. I, I, I would just, I would bet it's more than here, but we'll cut yeah. this if it's factual. <laughs> yeah, I want, yeah, I want to be factual on that one. Um, uh, well, then let me ask you the same question that I asked some of the other, uh, other, other guys is that, you know, and I, and I see this through the prism of age a little bit because it's the first time in many years that the number of young people who are eligible to vote will be about the same or, or maybe even a little larger than the number of uh, older people 
who are eligible eligible to vote, but the older people vote at a very high rate and younger people vote at a lower rate. And um, so to, to, to everyone, but to particularly the young people um, who have their right to vote intact, but maybe don't use it as regularly as, as you do in Sweden, what would you say to them? I would say that your vote matters. And if everybody thought like that, then we would have a big problem. Uh, to me, we, I honestly have a big problem already in America, and I think that's part of the reason that people, in a way, maybe thought that Hillary would win anyway. And I think a lot of people mistrust the politicians, and I can see why they feel like their votes don't matter, especially with the electric system that they have in America, um, which I'm against as well. I think you know the number of votes should be what, what, what puts a president in office. Um, but I, w- I would say that your, your votes do matter and uh, also to go out and encourage all your other friends to vote. And if, if you didn't vote, then you also don't have a right to complain. Um, that's my opinion. Any final message for, for listeners that we haven't gotten to? Uh, stay out of crimes and stay out of prison. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, why didn't anyone else think to say that? All right, thank you so much All for right, talking to you. us. I've been a lot of places as a reporter, talked to a lot of interesting people, but this was my first reporting experience from a prison, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. What I definitely didn't expect was to meet a bunch of media-ready people with fully formed opinions about voting. The Prison University Project surely has a lot to do with that and selects for people who want to be engaged in this way. But let's face it, most people on the outside can't carry on conversations about voting and voting rights. And the main insight I walked away with was one we kept coming back to in our conversations. If everyone or most people voted, it's pretty likely that fewer people would commit crimes. If we restored voting rights to prisoners, they would rehabilitate more quickly and thoroughly, and they might even improve things in their old communities enough to keep future potential inmates out of trouble. It would be a virtuous cycle, and we're intentionally not entering it either out of a misguided sense of how punishment should work or out of partisanship. Our leaders worry about which candidates the people in their prisons would vote for. That's wrong, and we're all worse off for it. And what's even worse is they won't change it unless they're forced to. But you can force them to. Greg and Rocky and Bucci and John and David and the six million others who live without the right to vote can't do anything about it, so you're their last line of defense. Don't let them down. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Crooked Conversations. Each of the people we heard from today, along with a few others, have written short essays that can be found at crooked.com. Please go read them and share these stories with friends and family members who may have expressed doubts about the power of their vote. Remember to register and use the power that you do have. Election Day is November 6th, so check out votesaveamerica.com for more information about when to register in your state and for a sample ballot. Thanks for listening, and check back next week for another great conversation from the Crooked Media Network.
Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly.